All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you. This is my boomstick. What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your host. I'm Daniel DeBana. And I'm David Uyoa, and we are back with the yeah. first Shiver of the New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, I hope everybody, uh, let's see, we are on the 5th, right? So 50% of New Year's resolutions have already been broken. People out there smoking and drinking again already? Uh, I never started mine. I'll put hey. it that way. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm giving myself till the seventh to say, you know what? Uh, I had a week, you know, so let, let me pick it up there. Yeah, I've had I've had to stretch the kind of start date on mine because um, my like uh, getting back to school. It's like it, getting it back into a workout routine and stuff like that on top of getting my regular morning routine is a bit much. And then my daughter's birthday um, was yesterday. So I was like, well, I'm not going to start eating healthy before I get cake and ice cream. So <laughs> there's no point. Right. Yeah. You're setting yourself up to fail. Exactly. So, you know, you just, you stretch these things. Yeah. Yeah. Much like my waistline. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, uh, so we, we welcome you back. We hope that you all had a very nice holiday season. Um, and this is the time on Shiver when, uh, when, when, when we really like to start saying, well, what are we going to discuss? Because we're, we're through the holidays, right? Because ho October, we've got plenty of Halloween-themed movies, right? Uh, November, we're still kicking that holiday thing. And then, you know, Christmas, there's always Christmas-themed horror. Yeah, so, exactly. So, so now it's like, okay, what are we going to do? How, how do we set the tone for Shiver... Let's call the season three. Right? Sure. All right. Why it. not? Um, and um, I guess we could discuss the logistics of that later. I'm just throwing, <laughs> you know, throwing pasta at a wall and seeing what sticks, you know? It's an effective method for finding out whether or not it's done. It is, actually. Um, my wife hates it, but I have an awful <laughs> lot of fun. Uh, and then she says, but, um, but I was cooking dinner and we weren't having pasta. I said, "Who, who says I was cooking dinner? <laughs> just, just, made, just throwing pasta at the wall. This, this pasta is done. I didn't say we need it for dinner. Precisely. Uh, so, uh, so Daniel, this, um, th this was, this was your idea, and I think it's a good one. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's funny the way that this kind of came about. I was actually out um, doing some Christmas shopping, and they had like a display set up." And I was like, oh, man, I should get the new Candyman movie. And then it was like, then I kind of forgot about it, went about Christmas shopping and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But then I got home and was looking for something to do that night. And I was like, no, seriously, I should watch the new Candyman movie. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I then, I, you know, I watched it. And I, I was really excited. You know, we already had kind of December planned out. So I was like, all right, well, give Dave a chance to, we'll get through this. Give Dave a chance to get through Christmas and he can get a chance to watch it, too. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to talk about it because uh, I've I've been I've been ready for it since I saw it back at the beginning of December. Um, I so few are the times that I've seen you this excited about something. Um, 
which uh which is why this is going to be somewhat of an awkward episode <laughs> fair enough <laughs> um so this this movie is I don't know if this is a new trend because I, I remember back with Halloween H2O, they did this where they were like, Hey, we're, uh, we're retconning the, you know, the, the mythology here. And we're, we're ignoring, uh, the, the last, uh, what, what was it? The, the last like three or four movies. And it's, right. it's only going to be, um, a sequel to the first one. Right. And uh, and then Resurrection followed that, and that was a shit show. And so they brought they brought that same thing back with uh, with Halloween twenty eighteen, right? Um, they did the same thing with Texas Chainsaw Massacre a couple years ago. You know, maybe ten years ago, maybe it was more at this point. And they're doing it again now, I believe, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Maybe this year. Yeah, uh, you know, so so this is definitely something that. that's been done, you know, uh, to some extent there is horror aspects. It's not a horror series, but the Terminator did this with dark right. Fate recently. So the, I, I think there is a trend right now, even if it isn't something that has started now. Superman returns. Yeah. That's, that's another one. And, and actually I think that that's a really underappreciated movie. I, um, I agree. Uh, I don't think it's, it's a particularly good one, but it's not as bad as everyone says it is. Um, that trend of saying, Hey, you know what? We're, we're just going to ignore the shit in between. Although I do think that there's, um, there's a lot, a lot of good in farewell to the flesh, even if the movie itself is not a good one. Yes. So that, that's, that's a very fair statement. Yeah. Um, so, so this one is a, a direct sequel to the original Candyman, builds on the lore of the original Candyman, expands on that lore. Um, how does this hold up as a sequel to the original Candyman, and how does it hold up as its own movie? So when I watched this, I was pretty sure that that was the premise was that, you know, this was a sequel to just Candyman. And so that's kind of where they were going with it. What they did a really good job with, with this movie was uh, establishing that Helen Lyle existed um, and that her time in Cabrini Green was real. But then they did a lot to cast a lot of doubt on the story of Helen Lyle. Like the one of the very first things that we see is, uh, or it's not the very first thing, but one of the first things we see is um, the uh, is a character and he decides to tell a ghost story. Mm-hmm. And he tells the story of Helen Lyle, which is, bits and pieces of the original Candyman, but with everything horrible that happened in that movie attributed to Helen Lyle doing it. And so you, you, you spend a lot of the time in this movie trying to figure out, is it like a sequel or is it like a, just a massive retcon to what happened in the first one? Um, They eventually reach a point where it very, you very much learn, okay, no, this is a direct sequel. All of everything from the first Candyman is canon and, and it moves forward from there. And at first I was, I, I don't, I guess I kept, I kept like waiting right to see mm-hmm. my Candyman, And so that, that kept throwing me for a loop um, because I like just trying to figure out if it was a sequel, but once the big domino fell into place of the concept that Candyman is not one person. Candyman is the whole hive. 
And it became much more than just a ghost story. It became a very important piece of a culture. It became mm -hmm. something that was more than just uh, you know, a scary story to tell in the dark. It became the story of a of a protector. Uh, oddly enough, this movie turns the idea of Candyman away from just a slasher into a, a golem of sorts. Um, not not the not your traditional, you know, like made of made of material and then brought mm -hmm. to life, but something that shouldn't be alive that is alive that is now serving as a protector for a certain group of people, and that fascinated me like i was i was absolutely blown away by that concept and then so from that point forward i was i was all in i i really enjoyed it i think they did a good job exactly what i said when i was done with this movie was they did a great job of uh paying homage to where they came from while creating their own story and that's what it's so easy to create one of these sequels where you're not creating your own story or creating anything new. You're just telling the next chapter. Right. This very much told a new Candyman story while acknowledging the brilliance of the original Candyman. And that put me over the edge on liking this movie a lot. I, I think that it did a good job with all the sequel aspects. Some of it did feel a little unnecessarily shoehorned in. And I, I get that, but overall, I liked it. I think it worked as a as a sequel slash reboot. I um, agree to an extent. Um, I do, I do like somewhat um, the expansion of the mythos of Candyman. We get a lot more exploration right. into. Um, kind of why Candyman exists. Um, and, and I feel that, like for me, the, the one area where this movie really left me feeling wanting was how on the nose it was. Uh, the, the original Candyman is, um, is a masterclass in subtlety and nuance. Like um, uh, the, the Candyman episode that we did last year uh, to kind of commemorate this one being released, where we looked at the original Candyman, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the social commentary and talking about the artistry of, of that film. And I think that although this film is beautiful, like it is gorgeous, uh, and, and the music is, is great, um, a lot of what made the original so good was missing here uh, because it was preachy, I okay. guess, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, and, and that's, that's kind of what I mean by it was, it was, it was on the nose and it's relevant subjects. Um, and it's all the same stuff that we were, uh, that we were shown in the original Candyman, uh, but in, in a way that felt like I was being spoon fed. Yes. And and I, I understand that that's that is an issue today with movies. Um, I don't know if audiences are dumber, but I I really think that studio execs believe. Yeah, they're at least treated as if they dumber. are. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I kind of felt that way where um, I, I understood 
the concept of you know gentrification bad, right? Um, uh, I've seen it myself here in in Miami. Uh, there are certain areas where um, you know they were once predominantly black or predominantly um, you know uh, low income Latino, and it's not that way anymore. Is it because craft breweries opened? <laughs> and craft breweries open, artists came in, yes. galleries opened up. It's exactly what you see there in Cabrini Green. And um, and 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 the more this happens, the more unaffordable housing becomes, and and the more these disenfranchised people end up suffering. Uh, so so I, I got that. Like you didn't have to show me that. The fact that this takes place in the same location as the first one. And it looks nothing right. like the first one. You don't need to tell me this. And that's that's something that I feel happened throughout the entire movie uh, where I was I was kind of spoon fed what the message was instead of me going on this journey of discovery with it. I didn't think about this movie after. Right. When yeah. It was. And it, was it, it did. It did get overly expository uh, mm -hmm. quite often, you know, where where you weren't just left to kind of figure stuff out. They very much were just like, okay, well, here's what this means. And here's what that means. And, and I can't, I can absolutely see that aspect of it. And so, yeah, now that you say it like that, I do. I, it was, I didn't really think about like, as soon as you started talking, I was like, man, they did spend a lot of time like defining things. Yeah. The other thing that for me um, kind of took away some of the mystery of that original Candyman was you were never really certain if Helen committed those atrocities. Right. When she woke up, she was just in a pool of blood, right? Um, but there was nothing left up to interpretation in this one. Uh, we would see Candyman taking over the, like overpowering the other person and no one was there. Right. So we knew that there was a spirit of Candyman that was, I don't know, maybe not strong enough to materialize yet. That's why we would see it in, in the mirror, but not in real life, you know, not until people started saying the name, you know. Um, now, I did think that as, um, as preachy as it was, um, to make it relevant, this idea of, you know, say my name, tying in with um you know the the black lives matter movement and uh like people like brianna taylor where you'd see the protests and people would chant you know say her name right you know that was powerful it was powerful and empowering to see that on screen so it's it, it's not like in my opinion it was all you know negatives i think that there uh there's a lot of really powerful imagery here but a lot of it was i think um very much on the nose and and uh to me was if if this was a standalone thing and there had been no Candyman previously i would probably be watching this and saying you know what that's pretty good and and that's kind of the um uh the jordan peele way you know he he doesn't mince words he kind of tell he puts yeah. all the cards out on the table and he lets you know exactly what this thing is about get out is like that us is like that. And this is very much a Jordan Peele movie, even though he didn't direct it. It was Nia DaCosta, and I think it was beautifully directed. Um, 
but I don't know if it works as a sequel to Candyman. Fair with enough. All, with, with, with all of the, the style, the substance that, uh, that we had with Candyman, I think a lot of that was used really just as like a, like a jumping off point. So as, as we start to talk about the story and we look at the plot, there, there are obviously a lot of similarities to the original um, because of the fact that they were expanding upon it. So when you start to think about looking at the story as a whole, the mythos that was already created and how this built, do you think that the story itself that they told in this movie, like the, just the plot of this movie, the story of it, was this was it strong enough to kind of stand on its own or... You know, how does it how is it help or hurt by the fact that instead of creating a new um, uh, idea for a monster that, that could be part of Cabrini Green, they built upon the idea of Candyman. So I think this is one of the weaker areas in the movie. Um, to me, this did not feel like a complete sequel. Uh, to me, this was uh, a DLC to... Uh, to the original Candyman. Okay. And I think part of that has to do with the runtime. This um, this clocks in at like barely over an hour 20. Yeah. And, um, and I'm definitely not one of these people who thinks that you need to have a terribly long movie. Uh, in fact, I often shy away from repeated viewings of movies that are too long. Uh, simply because if I want to sit down and watch something in one shot, uh, the chances are slimmer and slimmer as the years go by. Yeah. And I'm going to have enough time to, to watch something that's uh, two and a half or three hours long. You know, I loved Infinity War uh, and, and I loved Endgame. I haven't seen them again, you know, um, maybe maybe once or twice for Infinity War, certainly not for Endgame, you know, and, and these are amazing movies. I'm a huge comic book fan, you know, Um but I could tell you that I've seen The Bride of Frankenstein, which is like maybe, maybe 80 minutes long, <laughs> you know, uh, like, like like a bazillion times. Right. Um, I think this movie suffered for it. I think that um, I think that a lot of the ideas that it had were never fully formed or fully developed because uh, there's a lot of really good ones there. I love the idea that we're seeing uh, the original baby Anthony grown up and um, the the plans that Daniel Robitaille, that Candyman had for him. And um, I, I love the idea of, um, you know, how no matter what you try to cover up the history with, uh, the history will still be there. You can try to ignore it all you want, but it's still there. And I, I think that that's something that's really relevant, particularly with what's going on today in uh, in America. You know, people so against critical race theory where they're like, oh, well, listen, you're just teaching kids to hate America. It's, no, we're teaching kids history. Right. You know? um, and that's that's the sort of thing that I think it's um, it's really important. It's a really important message. Um, but I don't think much is really fully developed. It, it, the story kind of seems to like just go in circles and meander a lot without ever when, when we reached the final act in the church, I thought this feels like it's the end, but it shouldn't be. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of how I felt. 
And uh, William Burke was, for me, one of these characters that seemed really interesting at first, and by the end of the movie was my least favorite character, not because he was a bad guy, um, or was he, depending on how you want to look at um, you know the, the message of the movie, right. but because his motive was never really made clear. You know, there's, uh, there's, you can kind of, you know, guess at it, but the real reason for why he wants Candyman to come back, I mean, he gives you a little bit of a speech, but it, to me, that's, that's not motive enough for Candyman, for him to, to really want Candyman to come back. How did he know that that was Anthony, the, the little baby from the fire? You know, there's, there's all these things that to me are not answered. And where I don't really need to know how the Emperor is still alive in Rise of Skywalker, you know, uh, there's certain things I don't need to know, right? You know? Um, like I, I don't need, I didn't need to know how Boba Fett survived in the Sarlacc pit, you know, <laughs> things like that. I don't need to know. I feel like that's an important plot point, and you should fucking explain it, okay? Uh, and, and because that's not something supernatural that's like okay well how did you know that was the guy you know uh to me there's a lot of little things like that that simply weren't explained and with maybe another 15 or 20 minutes i don't know if there's a director's cut of this out there right. um if one day we get an extended cut of this movie where they flesh some of that out i think that we have a, a vastly superior movie yeah, there's, there's, it, it's interesting because you're, out, you're, you're right in the fact that while there are certain parts of it that were just kind of beat over the head with in the beginning, then it, it's almost you're, they reach a point where it's like, okay, we need to, we need to start wrapping this up. Like everything's mm -hmm. is happening, and it's like they realized at a certain point that they had just kind of just walked in these circles to create these moments that then they the the bow that they tried to tie on it was was not as neat as they hoped it would be that being yeah. said um i thought that i thought that uh that, that i i loved billy burke's character um i love his his monologue in the church for me it explained like just enough like i i, I can see where i didn't even think about him not uh, until you said it i didn't even think about like how could he have possibly known that this was um, the boy from Cabrini Green, you know, when he mm -hmm. just met him in his laundromat or when he met him walking around like the, the old projects and then brought him to his laundromat. Um, so thinking about that now, yeah, that's a little weird. But this uh, Billy Burke kind of took on the role of of a, of a do whatever it takes anti-hero and I, that's i know mm -hmm. that's not the right word but it's really the only one i can really associate with him where well it kind of is if if you consider that um you know a lot of people had forgotten about what yeah. what Candyman represents you know that that pain and suffering of black america yeah and so so i his his speech and and his and his you know do whatever it takes kind of attitude just i mean watching him saw tony's hand off just that so was he, brutal. yeah you know so he could uh so you know he was like some some of the deets some of the details have to be specific you know so he had to give him a hook and some things like that um as far as the plot of this movie kind of standing on its own i really enjoyed what left me confused at the beginning where 
Um, when we first meet Billy Burke, he says to me, Candyman was, and he tells the story of somebody that it from when he was growing up in Cabrini mm-hmm. Green. And so then you're suddenly, so then you're, you're left scratching your head. Like, no, I thought, I thought it was Robitaille. Like that's Candyman. What does he mean to me? Candyman is. And so, but as that developed, I ended up really, really liking um the idea of the fact that it's like well yeah no i mean e- e- generations and and groups of people can have their own candy man as long as this certain um these certain criteria are met which is why i kept landing on that idea of candy man being less of a, a le- less of just a slasher and more of a golem mm-hmm. because it has to meet the these certain criteria and uh and so I liked the idea of of him of of them introducing another Candyman and then eventually a third um, when it was all said and done. But then also mentioning the names of people who were also Candy Men and uh, right and, and and kind of throwing all that in there. I think that honestly, I if you were to if you had never seen the uh, Candyman from the nineties. And then I really think the only thing that would be lost on you when it comes to this movie is how fucking cool the cameo at the very end of this movie by Tony Todd is. Yeah. Like, like if you if you if you're into Candyman like we are, then that that Tony Todd thing was just amazing. If you've mm-hmm. never seen the original Candyman, then you're probably just going, ah, I guess that's just one of the other people that he talked about, one of the other people that that he painted. Um and so that I think makes it to where I definitely believe this movie could stand on its own. Like if I would be willing to watch this one uh, with some, I, if somebody were to be like, Oh, I was going to watch that new candy man. I'd be like, well, you should probably, you, if, if you like movies from the nineties, you know, you should watch the original one first, but if you just don't have the time or it just doesn't interest you, there's a complete story here. And so, you know, whereas I guess like when you look at the Halloween from 2018, you know, that one very much that one, everything that happens in it is dependent on what happened in the original Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, this one there, there is, there is a standalone story and maybe that's why he went, and like you said, it's just Jordan Peele's way, but maybe that's why he went so heavy handed with the explanations at the beginning, because he had to start to think about appealing. He had to think about appealing to an audience that didn't have the experience of watching the first one and being able to just kind of take that all in. So I can see maybe why he did that. Whereas, you know, we've seen the original Candyman as many times as we have, and we can wax poetic about it and, and enjoy kind of how it's washed over us for what, almost 30 years now. Right. Um, you know, the it'll he actually ha- be 30 years this year. Yeah, that's right. It was which 91. is crazy to think yeah. about that. <laughs> um, and so or, or 92, but um, so it's uh it's it's interesting to me. I think my the the biggest most successful thing about the plot of this movie, about the movie itself, was the fact that this was its own movie and it had ties to another, but it did, it did enough to explain the original that you weren't left completely lost. And the but, way that they did that, I thought was brilliant. The, the use of the, like the, the puppet light show. The, yeah. Was really, really great. 
It really, really was. Um, and then to carry it through the credits and not only kind of retell what happened in this movie, but show the stories of some of the other people that he mentioned that went on to be part of the hive. Um, it, it shows Which, the, by the, the way, the, many of those are historical. Yes. And I, I, I did look that up and yes, there, there are, those are, those are real, those are real names of men that were lynched and, yeah. and killed unjustly. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot here and it's interesting because it is so short that they got so much in there. And you're right. I do believe that it would benefit from another 20 minutes of maybe fleshing out a little bit here and there. But I think that what they did with what they had with, with what they, with what they put as the final product, I I thought was, I thought was really, really good. And I was, I was totally, I was, I was along with Tony for this entire ride. I, uh, I've never really thought of myself as an artist, you know, like, mm -hmm. and not just like, of like that, you know, like that media, like, you know, like actual, like painting and drawing and, and creating and things like that. Right. It's just, and, and I think it, part of that is because it's never been like an essential part of my lifestyle as a whole. Right. I've created tons of podcasts and been on a lot of podcasts. Like I, I've done a lot to create things in the world. But it's it's never been like uh, an essential part of my being, and so I really enjoyed the 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 getting to kind of suffer with Tony in the beginning, and I really liked uh, seeing him be inspired when he went through the old Cabrini Green projects, and and when he talks to his girlfriend and he says, "I've I've never been more clear. Like this is this is the most focused I've ever been on a project." And I really loved seeing that that rise. Like one of the coolest moments in this film is right after the death of the the art dealer, and it's on the news about what happened. And Tony's so hyped that they not only mention his name, but that they say the name of his art. Right. Like it doesn't even it doesn't even phase him that the news story where his name and his art are getting out there is about a brutal double homicide. Not he, the kind of thing you want to be linked to. Right. But he doesn't even care because people recognizing his creation is such a vital part of his, of his being mm -hmm. that, um, that as, as things progress, he obviously begins to, to find, I, I don't, you know, maybe a little regret in bringing this back into the world um, as he starts to smash mirrors and things like that. Right. And he's desperately trying to keep his girlfriend from, from saying Candyman. But it's it was it was just really I think they did a great job of portraying this idea of the tortured artist um, in a way in a in a horror movie, not just a movie about a tortured artist. You know, like, like there, there's there's plenty of those, you know, uh, what leaving Las Vegas. Right. Like, oh, yeah. man, you know, <laughs> that's a tortured artist. Right. But we right. only got to see. The, the end, you know, the decline. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. he's drinking himself to death. Okay, I guess that's what it is to be a tortured artist. <laughs> but this <laughs> but the, this idea of watching through somebody's struggle and seeing that their, their brief moment of seeing their vision realized is what brings about not only their demise, but the demise of so many people around them, whether or not they deserved it, you know, a story for maybe later. <laughs> but it, it was... 
I was so kind of wrapped up in just the character of Tony and his his growth as a person, him learning so much about himself, about where he grew up. Uh, that was fascinating to me. And that part of the plot really sold the movie for me, was really feeling like I had a chance to understand Tony and and just the focus being solely on him pretty much the entire movie. There are not very many scenes that do not involve Tony or do not happen, you know, directly after Tony was somewhere. Right. And so, you know, he was what just watching him and trying to kind of see what was happening through his eyes really took this movie to another level for me. That um that makes sense. And um and he was fantastic. He was really great. And I, I think the I'd the attempt act- I'd attempt to say the actor's name, but I will I will just massacre it. Uh, um, but yeah, Abdul I, Mateen is his last name. Yeah. Um Black Manta. Uh yeah. The, from Mor- uh, from Aquaman. Morpheus in the new Matrix, if you haven't seen oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. Um yes. don't don't plan on seeing it either. Um I'm just being honest. It's it's too long, but you know what? Oh, they blow a lot of shit up. They have some fun with it. Neil Patrick Harris spectacular in it, by the way. Sidebar, just Neil He's Patrick Harris in the new yeah, and mm, spectacular. Okay, all right. Yeah. So maybe I will. <laughs> maybe I will. Um, one one of the areas that um, uh, that is a standout here, as as much as I I kind of harped on it for being uh you know a a little on the nose and a little preachy is um the social commentary and and this is something that has always been at the heart of Candyman. um and uh i i think without it all you have with Candyman is um you know is, is a run-of-the-mill slasher but with the social commentary it kind of elevates it and um and and, and in truth tries to elevate the whole genre to, to something else, right? Um, and I think this achieves something more than just a simple monster movie, right? Um, so for for this movie in particular, uh, how's the commentary woven into the story? And, and how does that commentary work? So like you said at the top, the, the commentary at the beginning of the movie is bludgeoning. It's, you know, it's, it's very in your face and they, they lay the, and they lay a great foundation for not having to necessarily beat you with it as hard later in the movie. Um, You know, whereas the first one, the first Candyman uh, addressed gentrification a little bit. It was more about the divide between, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like ghettos and the area, you know, the areas that build up right next to them. Um, and we talked about the first one being gothic in using the idea of Cabrini Green decaying as death. This one, it, I, you know, I, I kept trying to find a way to be like, oh yeah, this one's gothic too, but it's, it's very much not. It is. Um, no. And so, but when you look at the social in, commentary, in fact, in fact I, I think, uh, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, uh, that's, that's established with the very first shot. Yeah. The, the fact that you get the, flip shot like the alternate shot of the opening scene right uh the opening scene of the uh, of the original candy man is that looking down upon the city 
with with all of, of of its dirt and its grime and and it's very much establishing like this is urban gothic right we get the complete reverse shot here you know from the city point of view looking up at the skyscrapers up into the sky this is a totally different kind of movie it is not going to be the same don't expect the same thing right i i should have seen that right from the beginning you know and been like i just thought of it as like oh what a cool callback they're doing the opposite thing nice yeah. <laughs> and um didn't realize it kind of meant a little more than that and so so when you when you remove that element and you're you're left with just the social commentary what I found fascinating was um, as much of a just awful person as she was, the the art, uh, the, the the critic um, who Candyman ends up killing him. Um, yeah, I believe so. When when you first when you first meet her, it's at the art show and um, Tony pours his heart out about what he honestly feels like is his first passion project. And I believe they said it's been about 10 years since he started creating the art that was like the, the noose with all the stuff around it. Cause I believe the guy says, this is the Tony from 10 years ago. I need the Tony of tomorrow. Right. And so he, he's finally, he's finally found it. And then what does she do? Not only does she shit on his art, but she shits on him as a person. And it's like, it was, and then, and then like shits on the idea of gentrification and creates this counterpoint that is for as much as people talk about gentrification being bad, the same people who run their mouths about it being bad also prey on the people who are actually affected by it. And right. that I think was it, that one little kind of, you know, like monologue that she has about gentrification was honestly one of the most poignant things in this movie to me. And just like how we joked at the beginning, of, you said you'd seen gentrification. I said, and then craft breweries open. <laughs> that was so poignant in the fact that this, a lot of the times the exact same people who complain about gentrification are the people who end up now suddenly finding themselves in the areas that have been gentrified, at least at the beginning of the gentrification process. You know, once you reach like the, well, now we've got a, a Pinkberry and, and Whole Foods and stuff <laughs> like that. Then those yeah. people start to pull back. But it's that artsy crowd that is always drawn to those areas. That's why I, I always feel like Every time somebody's like, hey, have you heard about this new craft brewery? And then I look it up on the map and I'm like, well, in five years, that'll be an area where people will be hanging out to do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But it was it was a really poignant uh, commentary on the people who complain about gentrification. And I'm not saying gentrification is a good thing, not by any stretch of the imagination. It's just always interesting to me how the people who are loudest about it, you know, your, your artsy types and your hipster types, they are the ones who also thrive in they that environment, it, yeah. but, and they, they don't thrive in it before it starts to make the turn. You know, you, they're the stories of the clash living in an actual super shitty area and that becoming what brought that brought out of them, the amazing artists that they were. Mm -hmm those types of stories don't exist as much anymore because of the fact that people found out about those areas 
And so before, either before you have a chance to get your break and still be in that area, or because just so many artsy people live in this area, there's all, it seems to me like there's more often a turn in the area before there's a turn in the product that comes out of that area. And that one moment was equally as damning to me as the as the very lengthy explanation of gentrification that we got at the beginning of the movie. And so that social commentary I thought was spectacular. Um I I just I just love the idea of Candyman being a monster for the disenfranchised. And you know, so to to use the names of real lynching victims and to to make this historically something that that maybe you know makes you raise an eyebrow a little bit and if these are stories of people that you've never heard and you end up researching some of them i mean they just there's it's just gruesome here in alabama we have and i haven't been yet uh, unfortunately um i haven't just haven't had a chance to we have a lynching museum um in montgomery just to kind of make people understand that this is a part of history and it's one of those things where you see lynching in movies and it's it's a powerful powerful tool when used correctly um but this did a good job of just kind of making you aware that you know these things are happening to people whose names before people's names were in the news you know there were plenty plenty of people who were shot in their cars during routine traffic stops before Philando Castile mm-hmm. Um, but you know, now in the 24 hour news cycle, you know, we, we know these names and, and I think that the part of the, the the deepest part of the social commentary goes back to that idea of what you said, Candyman's new motto being say my name, um, which makes sense for Candyman because that's how you bring him about, but also by him existing, you are if if you if you find out about Candyman, then you have to you know read the story of Robitaille, or you've got to read you know now the story of, of Tony and all of these other people that are mentioned, and and it and it becomes an educational tool, uh, you know. So Candyman out it, there just, it, it just certainly was for me. You know, I I, I read up on one of the stories uh, that happened in Texas just in in the late nineties, and I was like, geez, I can't believe that you know it just. 25 years ago this right. was still happening you know uh uh stuff like this i mean we still see it in the news it's still yeah. happening you know um it's important powerful stuff yeah and so i think they i think they did a good job of making of keeping this a socially relevant movie while also making it timely and mm-hmm. I think that, that that really boils down to just the fact that gentrification is at the heart of this. And you are absolutely right. It was a genius move to create him a catchphrase and say my name. I, I think it was just, I think that that part of it, while yes, uh, it, would, it was over-expositioned at times, I do believe that that part of the movie was executed very, very well. Um, the, the other bit of social commentary that I thought was... Um, equally as powerful and also really well timed um this movie was completed ready to go um before everything shut down in 2020 um the 
the woman's name is Brianna. Yeah. And and you cannot hear the name Brianna anymore without thinking Brianna Taylor, particularly when you're talking about um, social injustice and social injustice um, in, in particular for black Americans. There's just no way you, 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 you don't draw those lines. And her character was written, acted, filmed, edited, all before uh, what happened to Breonna Taylor. And so at, at the end of the movie, when these cops are, you know, uh, manhandling her and they're telling her, this is what you're going to go away for. Right. If you don't do what we say. That was, that was crazy. And to see her take control of the situation and summon the Candyman, knowing that she would be under his protection, that was something that both confused me because of the way that we understand Candyman to behave, uh, but also I think ultimately was, uh, was a strong point. Well, and I think that I think that the takeaway from the way that Brianna summoned Candyman at the end was she became the first person we saw Candy we saw summon Candyman that wasn't a fuck around and find out situation. Like she yeah. was, in, she was in invoking the, his protection. Yes, exactly. Like mm -hmm. she wasn't just doing it to prove that he wasn't real. Um, which you know, and especially after watching this one, we learn now that uh, you know apparently there there is almost a Freddy Krueger aspect to, you know, the believing in Candyman gives him power right. aspect. And so it, it was, I think that, I think that Brianna summoning him in the, the rear view mirror of that cop car was really the first time where we saw somebody summon Candyman in a, in a way that wasn't disrespectful. It wasn't just like, Oh, wow, watch me do this. This is nothing. You know, I mean, honestly, even Tony, did it in a way that probably was disrespectful. We eventually just kind of find out he wasn't oh, killed because he was, because he was part of this lineage. He eventually did come to respect Candyman, but when he summoned him in the, the glass of that slide uh, of that sliding glass door, he, there, there was, there was no respect to what he was doing there. He was, he was bullshit and he was joking around, mm -hmm. you know, like they, 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 they do a good job of being and like, we, Hey, we, we, we do see the, the reflection of the Candyman yes. appear at that moment. So, you know, he was there influencing the events from that time, from right. that, you know, like you say, you know, fuck around and find out time. Yeah. And so, you know, while they, while they, they do, you know, they do a little decent job of being like, Hey, these high school girls suck. You know, <laughs> maybe they don't deserve to be murdered, but you know, they're terrible no, people. No. Yeah. But at the same time, from Candyman's perspective, what they did was very disrespectful because they were just trying, you know, they were, they were doing it as a goof. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, from, from his perspective, that's, that's really all it takes. Yeah. I, um, I agree. You know, um, for me, it just, um, the, the social commentary did get in the way of, uh, the, the, the larger mythology because we had never seen him behave this way. So we right. have to kind of assume that it's because she did it, uh, that she like called on him with reverence and with respect, you know, um, because we don't know that, uh, Billy Burke's sister wasn't doing it in the same way, 
you know. Very true. Um, uh, all we know is that they're just saying Candyman in the mirror, you know. Um, I don't know. Uh, to me, it seems like a, like a proper assumption, you know. Uh, I don't. It's not too much of a step in logic to think that, but whenever a a movie starts to uh, play loosely with the rules of of its monster. Uh, that's that's kind of a moment where I take a step back and I'm like, okay, what exactly is going on here? Like Fair when w- like when Freddy Krueger started possessing people in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two, you know, yeah, and and then we never saw that again, you know, and uh, when Jason had like the little worm parasite that would, oh, uh, yeah. you know, possess like people and Jason goes to hell. Yeah. Um, you know, again, real cool, but um, that, this never happened before. It didn't happen again after. Um, and then there's there's also this idea that, like, it kind of seemed, at least to me, like Anthony was being possessed by Candyman. Yeah, at, at least, at least when he was painting, and at times, yeah, there definitely yeah, seemed it, it, to be. It wasn't. It wasn't like what turned him into Candyman was that like immediately, like he's an innocent man who has died, sort of thing, you know. Uh, like there, what his body is becoming like necrotized. He's like becoming entranced in painting. Um, like there was, there was this transition at least to me there was an outward transition you know maybe on the inside it wasn't there um because with helen who does become a candy man of sort at the end of the original film right um she just blacks out and she doesn't know what has happened and this you know adds to the mystery of the original movie uh, but there's never a question that she's possessed by candy man you know yeah, um, I can I can see that. And I guess it kind of I guess they leaned and, and that was one area where where like I said, I they they did lean a little heavy on that idea of him being the baby from the first one. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I do think that that while that was an interesting little throwback, and I was like, oh my god, there's Vanessa Williams, except for it's only kind of a surprise because her name was in the credits at the beginning, right? So I knew she was gonna show up eventually. <laughs> um, but uh I I cannot I can't see that because like I said, I think I think that making him baby Anthony from the first one really just kind of gave them a, a Deus Ex for certain yeah. things, you know. And mm-hmm. so I I can't see that kind of kind of getting scapegoated more than being an important plot point. Mm. So uh, we we've talked a lot about you know the things that Candyman does uh, to protect his community to to be a story, but ultimately what Candyman does is Candyman kills people, mm-hmm. seventeen people in this movie uh, to be precise. So um, with a with a body count, you know the is a, a decent body count. That I is, mean, you go, yeah, you know you you go back to the history of the slasher. What there's like four in the original Halloween if you count the babysitter at the beginning. I mean, yeah, and no blood. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this movie definitely has buckets of blood. It definitely has deaths in 17. So when you look at the gore of this movie, how do you feel it contributes to the overall feel? I was extremely disappointed. This was possibly 
the area that to me was most disappointing because at the very least, if there's a movie where um, I'm not certain if I like it or not, if the uh, if the kill special effects are are really good, I'm like, oh man, that was really cool, right? Um, there's there's a lot that you can make up for with really cool kill effects, right? Uh, it's part of the reason why Tom Savini is yeah. the, the fucking god that he is, is because whether it was a good movie or a bad movie, when you saw Tom Savini's name in special effects, you were like, oh, we're in for a ride, right? And uh, there were definitely buckets of blood. You didn't see any of the actual kills, uh, at least not up close. And every single time I was left thinking, I really wish I could see what the fuck was going on here. Right. Uh, because they were all either off screen or they were like the camera was so pushed back. Like, I, I really think that the kill in the um, in the art critics apartment was really cool except I couldn't see a fucking thing All right. because it was so far away. You know, uh, it looked like one of those establishing shots from the dark night, you know, just before Batman, like, you know, fucking parachutes into, into Shanghai. Like, you know, what the fuck, man, I want to see her die. You right. know, this, this is what I came for. I came to see Candyman fuck up, stupid white people all right and and i felt like i was gypped in that department uh the bathroom scene could have been one of the greatest uh absolute greatest most brutal scenes in any horror movie and we were robbed of that absolutely robbed of that when we when we saw the blood start to come down off the counter i was like oh boy we're in for something yeah i was All so right. ready because it comes down in like a sheet and i was like yeah. oh that is so bizarre looking i was so ready and then they and, cut and, to and, a new and, story and it was it was kind of set up in a great way because the the first death is really great you yeah. see her throat slit open and there's nothing there. And it's like, oh, shit. And it comes out of nowhere, right? Like, you know, it's going to happen. And yet it still gets you. And then with the second guy, it all happens off screen. And yep. then it keeps happening off screen and keeps happening off screen. And I know that this is uh, DaCosta's vision. You know, she she wanted to make something that was her own and something that was not going to be like the original Candyman, because in every possible way, this is not the original Candyman. Right. Um, and I think that the movie suffered for it. I I really agree with you here. This was my biggest knock on the movie was. I got uh, I just we got we got blue balled for lack of a better mm -hmm. word by these kills. We kept seeing awesome remnants of what we can only assume were awesome kills. Yeah. And you know, like I'm I'm gonna give a I'm gonna give a, I, I have used I, I've used the phrase less is more a lot on this podcast, but it's not a phrase that I want to use when I'm talking about a slasher flick. And you're right, right especially when we do see an invisible hook tear open the first girl's throat. And it's like, Oh hell yeah. Buckle up. These people know what they're doing. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And I think that they really shoestring, not shoestring, like, like hogtied themselves with this idea of the fact that 
you don't you can't see Candyman, right? You can see him in a mirror, but it seems like it would have been an easy. It, there were always mirrors around. It seems like you could have just had a camera pointing at a mirror and at least shown us more than what we got. Um, there there were some, you know, there were some really there were some good special effects. Like I said, the sheet of blood coming off that bathroom counter, that was gruesome and really cool. I want to see how all that blood came out of a person at one time. <laughs> like I want to see, and, and, you know, that's, that's, and that's, that's, you know, that's just the horror fan in us. And, and it's what we come to expect when we're watching a slasher film. And I can see where they are trying to, you know, kind of elevate things and, and, and make it more than just a slasher film. But Candyman's a movie monster and we want to see the monster kill the girl. Like that's why we buy tickets. Right. Mm -hmm. So while we got, while we got the idea of a lot of really great kills and we, like we did get some good gore, you know, the blood splatter when her throat gets slit, um, the, even even him getting his hand cut off, it did show just enough. I, I didn't need blood to spurt everywhere. I got a good, tight shot. Also, a really great angle from underneath, like looking up at him, just looking up at Billy Burke, just frantic. Um, as, as he cuts as he cuts the hand off, and then the sound of snapping it off. Like that, were, that was that was a great one. Yeah, there were bookends here of some mm -hmm. really great special effects. And just everything in the middle was, you know, left up to the imagination. And that's just not what I want from this type of movie. You can you can tell you could have told the same story while also creating iconic kills. And that's something that you're always on the lookout for, you know, over on our other podcast, geek more, check it out. Uh, Geekbro.net. Mm -hmm. We've done like horror movie kills and like ranked them and talked about some <laughs> amazing things, and, yeah. you know, and some of them are from good movies. Some of them are from bad movies, but they still make for moments that people are going to sit around and talk about. And the original Candyman, we didn't see a lot of the kills, but damn, when we did, when he slashed open that doctor, we saw that shit. Yeah, we watched him slash open that psychiatrist. They, they were they were conservative with the kills, but when the kills happened, they laid it all out on the line yes. for you. There was uh, there was no question about what was going on, and and it was buckets and buckets of blood. By the time everything was done, uh, it. it they had to have been swimming in this blood. Uh, you know, that, that scene where, where Helen is first taken to the, the police department after the Rottweiler's head is, is cut off, you know, and, and she's, she's stripping for the, for the police officer, you know, the, her clothes is literally caked onto her body yeah. with blood, you know, and, and that was missing here. It was, yeah. it was, I mean, here and, uh. the, you know, the, the bathroom scene just, you were right. Had a chance to be this amazing moment. Like there were what, four girls in there at that point. Cause yeah. one bailed. So it's like that you could have done a lot there and it would have been incredible. But the biggest disappointment for me came from seeing what was like the coolest prop in the movie. And that was seeing that Billy Burke had created lollipops with razor blades in them. Yeah. And he's, and he's lost his mind and he's calling them sacrament. And I'm like, this, Oh God, he's going to shove one of them in her mouth and he's going to bite one. And this is going to be incredible. And we get him kind of holding it. And then we get him later with the bloody mouth 
right? Like he yeah. ate it. Like we didn't get a really good scene. I wanted to see somebody eat a razor blade lollipop. <laughs> I wanted that to happen so bad. They looked so cool for something so simplistic. And just this, and like I said, and just kept screaming, calling it sacrament. I was so on board with how cool these razor blade lollipops were going to be. And then they just didn't show it to me. Again, we just got the after effects of it. I wanted one seven second brutality, just brutally, brutally awful scene of watching him with that lollipop. And it just, it was like I, you're absolutely right for for all the blood and for all the gore that was in this movie this is one of the times when i've got to look at the movie and be like it wasn't used well they could have done so much more with the gore and told their story and made it exciting and like you said it's it's director's vision and that's that's not what she wanted but man it's what i wanted as the viewer and uh and yeah. i was just kind of left hanging on that one yep so, you know, just oh, for, yeah. for, for all of these things considered, you know, it's, it's come to that time where we, we gotta, where we're going to rank the movie, right? It's, this is, this one's, you know, a little bit shorter, but it's because we don't need to spend all the time talking about the social commentary in the movie. They pretty much told you exactly what it's going to be. Right. <laughs> um, so when we're looking at ways that we're going to rank this movie, we like to remind everybody that, uh, that we we always rank a movie against itself. So, um, you know, while we have referenced the original Candyman, and I'm sure it's going to play a little bit into our points, we are technically only rating it against itself. And coming right on the heels of what I was talking about there, we are going to rate this out of a possible five razor blade lollipops because while they were not used as well as they could have been, <laughs> what a great prop. <laughs> while they were absolutely not used as well as they could have been, it was such a simplistic and really cool looking prop. So out of five razor blood lollipops, what do you give Candyman from 2021? Um, you know, when, when I had finished watching the movie last night, I had no idea. Usually I finish watching a movie. I'm like, okay, it's going to be somewhere around here. Um, and as I wrote up the, uh, the show program today, I was like, Hmm. You know what? I think I'm going three. And and then I was like, man, but you know what? That's really low. And we started talking about the movie and you made some interesting points. And I was like, maybe I'll go 3.5. And um, and then I remembered how much blue balls I had with the board. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, you know what? No, no, I uh, I I did not see myself. Um, I can't say I disliked the movie. I definitely didn't dislike it. Uh, but I, there's no way that I saw myself not liking the movie, um, like this, you know, right. I, 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 I was like, okay, I love Candyman. Um, I enjoy <laughs> farewell to the flesh. Um, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a celebration of Candyman. How am I not going to love this thing? And, and I didn't. I didn't love it. Um, and I don't think I liked it. And I don't think I disliked it. Um, meh would be the word I use uh, today. Uh, our, our buddy, uh, Andy Chacon, uh, you know, guest on the show, asked me what I thought of the movie. And I said, meh. 
And I think that that's, that's the, the perfect way to do it. However, um, I do think two and a half stars is too low to go. Uh, because that I would definitely recommend someone watch the movie. Right. If they say, should I watch it or should I not watch it? I'll tell them, go ahead and watch this thing. Uh, especially if you are unfamiliar with Candyman or if you're a young person, I think that young people would appreciate this more, more than we would, uh, simply because it's, uh, it's so timely and it speaks to what's going on, you know, in their generation, uh, and where Candyman is kind of sort of, uh, I mean, it's definitely not a time capsule. Uh, right. I, I do think it's it's somewhat timeless because it feels like um, we talked about this. It feels like a like an early Universal monster movie, but it also feels modern and it still feels you know modern and contemporary. Uh, this one does feel like it is a product of uh, the 21st century and 21st century problems, and uh, and and for that I would recommend it to to young people particularly. So I can't say two and a half. Uh, so I think three is right where I feel comfortable and, um, I may watch this again just to see how I feel upon a second viewing. Um, I'd like to watch some of the behind the scenes just cause that's illuminating and sometimes right. getting into the, the filmmakers heads helps you understand the decisions that they've made. And sometimes that makes me feel better about the decisions. And sometimes that makes me hate the decisions even more. Um, but it's always nice to know. Yeah. So, so, so I'd say three, what about you? So when I watch, so I've seen this twice now. Uh, and when I watched it the first time I was enamored with it. Um, and upon second viewing, I, I realized that part of the sheen for this movie for me was just the way that they ended up tying it back to the original. Um, Once I wasn't, you know, surprised by Tony Todd's appearance at the end anymore um, and some things like that, it did take away from it a little bit. Um, I, like I said, I do have to knock this movie um, a little bit because of like, like, like we said, just, just getting blue balled by, by the, Mm -hmm. the lack of kills. So um, I've got to knock it a little bit there. Um, that being said, I, I, well, and I also think you're, you're very right in the fact that like, I would, if, 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 uh, you know, a if, if a 20 year old or something were to come to me and, and ask me about Candyman, I would recommend this to somebody who was 20 over one from the 90 over the, over the one from 92. Right. So, mm. so there, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely some ups and downs, but when, and when it's all said and done, I did really like it. Uh, I thought that they did a lot of things very well. Um, just like I said, the concept of, uh, of Candyman being a, a hive. Candyman is an idea. That is really um, cool. And, um, and I did really, really like that. Um, I, Billy Burke just like, God, man, just whenever he was talking, like I was glued to him. Whenever he was telling any part of the story or going on his insane rant at the end, um, I was just, I was just affixed. I couldn't look away. This, this concept, you know, he says, uh, but, but pain like that, that lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And just that 
addition to the Candyman mythos is what is going to put this at four razor blade lollipops for me. Um, because I did really, really like it when I, I the, the first time I turned it off, man, I was ready to jump on here and, and, and give it a five. And, um, but yeah, on this is one that, that I did on second watch. The thing is when you watch a movie the second time, you're, you're looking for nuanced things. This right. movie at times is so, Unnuanced? Is that a thing? That on the second viewing, you're like, ah, okay. You know, there's it, 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 it didn't have the same effect because when I was looking for more to it here and there, there wasn't more to be found because this movie does present itself so wholly in the beginning. Um, and so I'm I'm gonna sit this at four. Uh, just because of the fact that on rewatch it did lose some sheen, and there, there, I, I wanted to see more kills. So yeah, I'm comfortable with leaving this at four razor blade lollipops. All right, and I, I think this might be the one that we have disagreed upon. I uh, think so. The a full most. star We're between a, us. Yeah, yeah a, a full, a full razor filled lollipop difference between us. That's crazy. Um, so there you have it. Candyman sits uh, comfortably at three and a half razor filled uh, lollipops and, and, and that'll do it for this episode. Make sure you join us for the next one uh, where we will be talking about the Hulu original. I think it's an original. I um, think it's an original too. If not, it's just, that's the first place it's getting released. Uh, which is original enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and it it's called We Have to Do Something, right? And if 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 you were listening right now and you're like, ah, I don't know if I'll watch that episode next week because I haven't even heard of that movie, just go watch the trailer. And if you like this show at all, I guarantee you once you see the trailer to we what we have to do something, you're gonna want to watch it by our episode next week. Uh when uh when when you told me about this trailer like you gotta watch this thing i was like okay cool i watched the trailer and immediately got back to him like we we have to do an episode <laughs> on this i haven't seen the movie yet i'm gonna watch it uh some point later this week and uh and and prepare but it looks damn good it so, looks yeah it there's it's one of those trailers where there's a lot going on and you don't know what any of it is and i'm it, it it's a it's a very well-made trailer we can say right now at least yeah yeah, at the very least, there's <laughs> like uh motherfucker knows how to cut a trailer. Yes. <laughs> Pay that guy more, whoever that is. Uh, so thank you so very much for sticking with us till the end here. Um, we we hope that you're listening to some of the other podcasts on the Geek Bro Network. Um, Mount Geekmore, uh, I think it's taken a little bit of a of a hiatus. Yeah, every, every everybody's schedules have been wonky with Christmas mm -hmm. and everything. I'm sure we'll settle back into a groove here, but yeah, just with with uh, with Neri being out and and everything going on with Christmas, it's just been hard to put to pin everybody down. But I'm pretty sure we'll be back soon. Uh, but you can find Daniel DeBona and myself on that one. Uh, you can also catch uh, Neri, who's a who's a host on that one on the what's up bro podcast which is live right now so if you want to jump on over there uh you certainly can uh you can also catch comedy fitness um uh dose of ellie seasons a tv 
podcast. Um, kick flicks. Kick flicks. Crimacopia. Uh, Petter, let, let me tell you. Yep. Uh, I like to think of Crimacopia as our sister podcast. I I I 100% agree. I think yeah, it is. I think I'm going to start saying that. Uh, Crimacopia, our sister podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so if you head to geekbro.net, you can check out all of those things. Or if you head to shiverpod.com, that'll take you to our website, which will you can then get to the rest of the Geek Bro stuff. But all of it's under that umbrella. Um, all of their information can be found everywhere. If you're looking for just us, we're sh- we're at ShiverPod on everything um, on Instagram. You can even email us at ShiverPod at gmail.com. And uh, we always respond. Yeah. Uh, it 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 might be it might be a week later, but but we <laughs> respond. Uh, unlike Enterprise Rent a Car. I'm going to go on a little rant here, right? Unlike Enterprise Rent a Car, who's going to leave you stranded at Hanscom Airport in uh, uh, in in Lexington, Mass. All right, uh, Enterprise Rent a Car. We waited for three hours. There was no one at your counter. Uh, thankfully, uh, your boys at uh, at Logan Airport were able to fix us up once we spent about sixty dollars Ubering over there. Uh, and, and, uh, we're still waiting for a call back from management from that 1-800 number we were told to call. <laughs> uh, and the email that I've sent is still gotten no response. So, uh, so if somehow this gets to enterprise, I'd like you to know, uh, I'm very displeased and I am making it my personal, personal crusade to nail your asses to a wall. So enterprise. So, Enterprise, do yourselves a favor. Look in a mirror and say Candyman five times. <laughs> Make me happy today. All right? <laughs> Love it. So, on Love behalf it. of all of us here on Shiver, fright you very much. <laughs>